What's up, everybody? This is Sarah, your host of Talk to the Hand podcast, a podcast about the 90s, everything you love about the 90s, and more. What is up, 90s kids? How you doing? How you feeling? I'm by myself today, but I do have my co-producer, my twin flame, my fur baby daddy, my husband, Eric, with me. Hi, everyone. He's producing this episode for me, so fabulous. Um, so yeah, how's everything? How's everyone doing? How you feeling? Boy, last week was pretty nuts. So thanks for letting me take, take the week off. Um, it was quite a week and I hope everyone um, showed up. Thank you so much for showing up to vote to save our democracy. That election was quite a doozy, um, but our work is not done. And I'm just going to say this once at the top, this episode after the election, um, please continue to fight for justice and humanity. We hired a lot, a lot of people to work for us at every level, at the state level, at the local level, at the federal level. So let's put them to work in every way we can. As my favorite writer and astrologer, Chani Nicholas says, 2020 has let it be known that justice needs every single one of us and that there's no such thing as apolitical. So don't stop educating yourself, 90s kids. Don't stop signing petitions. March for what you believe in. Donate to causes you believe in if you can. Volunteer your time. Hey, guess what? If we all did a little bit more, wouldn't the result be super sick? Wouldn't it? I think so. Yeah. So to continue this wave of hope and inspiration from the election, we are going to be talking about a really patriotic topic today, a wonderful, wonderfully inspiring topic today. It all takes place in Atlanta, Georgia in 1996, 24 years ago at the Summer Olympics, to be specific. That's right. We are talking about the Magnificent Seven, everyone. That is the USA women's gymnastic team um, made up of seven girls from ages 14 to 19. We will talk about this incredible group of young women in just a second. But before we get to the topic, I want to make sure you're following us on social media. TTTHpod on Twitter. Talk to the HandPod on Instagram. TalkToTheHandPod.com. That's our website. And TalkToTheHandPod at gmail.com. That's another way you can reach us. Uh, the contact form for questions, topic requests, guest requests is all live on the website. Again, that's talktothehandpod.com. So make sure you check it out. We are also doing a weekly TGI Flashback Friday newsletter. So make sure you are signing up for that. That's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. It's a brand new thing we're starting. Um, it's going to have a weekly flashback, something funny to just kind of tr- uh, trigger your nostalgia. It's going to have the weekly episode. It'll have news and updates about fun stuff, bonus materials, merch, all that great stuff. Um, so make sure you're signed up for that. You can sign up for that on the website. Again, talk to the handpod.com. And then also before we start this topic, I wanted to give you a trigger warning. Um, by now, I'm sure, at least I hope you've heard about the rampant sexual abuse and power abuse that is so deeply ingrained in the USA Women's Gymnastics um, Organization. So this episode will touch on it, um, but I won't give any specific details and I will link a very important article in the show notes for more information. And I implore you to read it and get to know these incredibly brave women that came forward with um, this these revelations. So with that said, here are my sources. I used a history.com article called U.S. Women Take 
home gymnastics gold. And that one didn't have a date. That actually was an article. It was more like an entry. Uh, 20 years later, the Magnificent Seven are still amazing, still close, and still hyped for USA Gymnastics. That was a 2016 article from SB Nation. Another article, Carrie Strug's unforgettable determination to win gymnastics Olympic gold from the Olympic Channel on YouTube. That's actually a video, not a article. And that was from 2018. Um, another article, Magnificent Seven Gymnasts, Where Are They Now? From 2016 on Yahoo Sports. And then, of course, the one that I'm going to link, I'm also going to link the actual footage of Carrie Strug's um, vault on our show notes as well. But the article I would um, I'm, I referenced just a few minutes ago is America failed its gymnasts. The sport has changed, but not enough from the cut. And I think that article is from 2018. Didn't have a date on it, but it referenced 2018. So it's very recent. OK, so the Magnificent Seven. Who are the Magnificent Seven? So in the summer of 1996, the best show on earth was the Olympics in Atlanta. The main event was the USA women's gymnastics team, just filled with tons of sparkles and scrunchies and quad muscles. This team was made up of seven girls ages 14 through 19. And like I said, they were called the Magnificent Seven. And what makes them so incredible is that these girls were the team, the first team to win a gold medal for the team competition at the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta. They were the first U.S. team to win the gold medal for the team competition. The members were Shannon Miller, Dominique Mochianu, Dominique Dawes, Carrie Strug, Amy Chow, Amanda Borden, J.C. Phelps, and Shannon Miller. Now, Shannon Miller was often called the leader of the Magnificent Seven. She's the second most decorated American gymnast in history, and she was that year's reigning national champion. Dominique Mochiano, another breakout star, she was 14 years old in 1996, and she was a very versatile athlete. She was the, the, she was the short, shortest one on the team, very tiny, tiny, um, but incredibly powerful uh, athlete. Dominique Dawes was known um, as Awesome Dawesome. She was the first black woman to win an individual Olympic gold medal in gymnastics, and she was another breakout star. You probably have seen her in recent years as she worked with um, President Obama in um, on one of his councils for fitness. So she's still very much in the public eye. Carrie Strug, uh, who is best known for her final vault um, and actually qualified for the individual all around over Dominique Mochianu, but it was her vault, her final vault um, when she was injured that clinched the USA's first ever team gold in gym women's gymnastics, beating Russia and Romania. When I say Russia, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word Russia, but back then, um, uh, before, before it was Russia in a lot of the uh, medals it won, it was known as the um, unified team of the Soviet Union. So when I refer to Russia, I refer to that specific team. But before, you know, when it was still a Soviet Union, it was called the unified team. So so the next one on the on the Magnificent Seven is Amy Chow. She was known as the trickster for her ability to master even the most difficult routines. She was uh, actually she won the silver medal on the uneven bars, and she was the first Asian American woman to win an Olympic gold medal in gymnastics at the highest difficulty, especially on the uneven bars. So she is just a little powerhouse too. Another Magnificent Seven member was Amanda Borden. She was actually named the team captain because of her supervising bubbly personality. J.C. Phelps 
was another one. She she was the final um, of the seven. She provided very clean lines and solid work on all four events. And in gymnastics, their four events are vault, uneven bars, balance beam, and floor exercises. So out of this team, out of these seven, Shannon Miller, Dominique Dawes, and Amy Chow also won individual me- um, medals at the Olympics. And this team winning the gold and this team just in general was best known um one was one of the best known moments from the 1996 summer olympics and of all time and the moment the breakout moment the the pivotal moment for the entire um 1996 summer olympics especially for gymnastics was carrie strug sticking the landing of a vault um on one foot to clinch the gold medal for the u.s while she was injured we'll get into that in just a minute so the coach for the team was Bella Caroli. He was famous for the physical demands he placed on his athletes. He was also, he and his wife were um, heavily involved. His wife was also involved. They uh, kind of were seen in the 90s as just the American dream. They were Romanian immigrants. Um, you know, they came to America. They they brought their Romanian, their their you know, champion traditional uh, practice and skill and technique um, to America to train these girls. And um, in the 90s, we're kind of looked at as kind of the heroes. But, you know, looking back on it now, hindsight's 2020, they are actually pretty scuzzy, if you ask me. Um, so we'll get into that in a little bit, too. The 1996 Olympics, the Magnificent Seven entered the Olympics with the expectations of the entire country heaped on them. They were considered America's best shot ever at an Olympic team gold. At the at that point, first of all, all these girls were incredible individually. And then you put them all together, they were absolutely just explosive with talent. At that point in 1986, the USA women's best finish up to that point was silver in the 1984 Olympics, which took place in LA. And those were that Olympic games was actually boycotted by the favored Soviet Union. Really um, solid, just they were the cream of the crop, the best of the best. No one could beat them. The only time anyone beat them was in 1984 when they did boycott the Summer Olympics. And that's when Romania won. So, um, in 1980, there, there's always been a, there was always a kind of, um, that Cold War kind of seeped over into sports as it did with lots of other fields and industries and genres too. But um, especially in sports, it was kind of this feat of physical um, determination and strength. And in 1980, the Winter Games was one of the closest victory, the best victories over the Soviet Union was in 1980 during the Winter Games when the USA beat them at ice hockey. And this is uh, this was the quote unquote miracle on ice. So the Magnificent Seven victory, their victory is actually on a similar, if not greater magnitude as this miracle on ice. And it's kind of seen as the counterpoint, um, the more modern counterpoint to this miracle on ice. So like ice hockey, gymnastics was dominated by the Soviet Union throughout the 20th century. Like I said, they won eight team golds between 1952 and 1980. They won, they basically won every all around gold in every Olympics they entered. <laughs> they, oh, it was all, like I said, it was only in 1984 when they boycotted that Romania won. And this time in 1986, the U.S. was finally on their own turf again in Atlanta. And so they were on their own turf. They they had all these expectations. They were a dynamite team and the U.S. had faith 
you know, we had faith in them. They were all so immensely talented and each of them were so capable of winning individually as we saw, because they all, you know, some of them did. And so they were a good bet altogether. At that point too, Shannon Miller was a veteran and she didn't disappoint. She delivered so many impressive performances. The team won four medals in 1996. Like I said, the team all around won the gold. Shannon Miller won the gold and balance beam. Dominique Dawes won bronze in the floor exercise and Amy Chow won silver in the uneven bars. Now, out of all of these incredible accomplishments, I don't want to undermine any of them because all of these are incredible feats to begin with. These, um, I'll, I'll get into how the Olympics, especially gymnastics, have changed over the years. But from everything I've read, gymnastics was even tougher back in the 90s than it is now. And the fact that they won you know, these, these women pulled off and these girls pulled off these, um, major accomplishments is nothing to blink at. So I wanted to put that out there before we get into this next part, because this often overshadows all the other accomplishments. So let's talk a little bit about why, how they clinched the gold and how they clinched the gold was Carrie Strug's famous, famous injured final vault. It is one of the all-time greatest Olympic moments, sports moments, American moments. It is one that has and will continue to go down in history books as one of the most inspiring, um, just what one of the most inspiring moments in, in our history. And it's pretty freaking cool too. So, okay, so let's paint the picture a little bit. The day is July 23rd, 1986, and millions of Americans are glued to their TVs. It is the Women's Gymnastics Olympic Finals. And for the first time ever, like I said, the U.S. had a shot of winning team gold. The final event was the vault. Carrie Strug was the final gymnast up for the U.S. in the vault when the team was narrowing the lead over the Russians. All she had to do was not mess it up. And you know what? That is such a huge burden to put on a young girl. I'm just going to put that out there. Holy shit, Carrie, you deserve so much love just for that in and of itself. But okay, so it's the final event for the U.S., the whole damn thing, the vault. So Dominique Mochianu, 14 years old, was up. She had a chance to clinch the gold for the team, and she knew, to, she, knew she needed to score a 9.430 to secure the gold. So she readies herself, charges down the runway, vaults, twists, and does not stick the landing. She's so disappointed. You can see it in her face. You can feel it in the energy of the crowd. She tries again. Once again, slips and falls on the landing, and... Now it is up to Carrie Strug, the final, final vaulter, the final athlete of any of the U.S. women's gymnastics events in 1996. It is up to her to Carrie Strug, her tiny little shoulders, to clinch the gold by scoring at least a 9.430 on the vault. And again, she gets two tries. The crowd is on its feet. American Americans at home watching were silent, probably. This was the Hail Mary to beat Russia. And like I said, when I say Russia, it's also the so unified team of Soviet Union. On her first attempt, Strug vaulted. She runs. She runs down that, that runway with just overwhelming conviction. Like she knew this was her last chance. You see it in the way she carries herself. You see it in her face. She was so fucking determined. And she 
makes the vault, she twists, she turns, she falls, and she hears a snap. Later, when I watched her interviewed by Jay Leno, she said in gymnastics, you hear lots of cracks and pops. So it wasn't really that alarming to her at first, but she was in an extraordinary amount of pain. Turns out she had a torn ligament and a damaged tendon in her ankle from that fall, which I've read is worse than a break. I'm not a doctor, so please tell me if I'm wrong. But in normal circumstances, that would be the end of her Olympic Games. But without hesitation, she gets back up. She's writhing in pain. She looks over at Bella. Bella looks back at her. He doesn't tell her what she does wrong. He doesn't tell her how to fix it. All he says to her is, you can do it. He is asking her to go back and do it one more time. And without any hesitation, she gets back up. And as she is hobbling and walking down the runway, she sees that she's, her vault scored a 9.162. Again, an underwhelming score. Now the team and the U.S. has one more chance to win. One last shot, one last vault. She limps back. She prepares. All eyes were on her as she sprints down the runway. She jumps. She flips. She flips again. She executes a perfect one and a half twist vault. After the twist, she landed on one fucking foot. I will say that again. She stuck the landing on one fucking foot. (laughs) You can watch her face as she sticks it. She is clearly in excruciating pain. So she's on one foot. Her other foot, she's holding up behind her steadily, but clearly still in pain. She's lifting her arms to the crowd and the judges. And after a few seconds, she just can't stand anymore. And she collapses on the ground. She sits there just trying to stand, but she knows she can't stand. She can't. If you watch this video of her, you can see it in her face. She can't decide what's more painful. And this is my interpretation. She can't decide what's more painful, the torn ligament and the damaged tendon, the frustration of maybe feeling like she fucked it up for everyone, the overwhelming pressure she faced getting to this point to begin with, the fact that any injury could be the one to end an athlete's career. In that moment on the ground, I felt for her so much. And I think everyone did too. With the entire crowd waving American flags, Bella and his wife lifted her up, carried her off the mat, and she waved to the people. So remember, they needed a 9.430 or so they thought. So when her 9.712 was announced, the crowd erupted and she, in the arms of her coach, was celebrating and just it, the, I mean, it was just electric. The moment was just electric. And like I said, the catch to the whole story is that the team and Carrie herself didn't know that they'd actually won by that point. Because of the timing of the vault and the Russians finishing up on the floor around the same time, they actually cleared the victory in terms of points after Carrie's first vault. When interviewed on Jay Leno, she said it was a quick decision, which I'm presuming by Bella. She referenced um, in this interview that uh, Dominic Mociani right before her had fallen twice and then she fell on her first fault. So in her words, it wasn't looking very good. It was kind of slipping away. So she tried again. When this when this 9.712 was announced, she was in a tremendous amount of pain. And luckily she just focused on the judges. And she also said, luckily the vault happens really quickly. So she was in pain for a very short amount of time, well, excruciating pain. And then it was over and then 
she was uh, carried off the mat. So as soon as she was carried off the mat, the Olympic doctors wanted to take her to the hospital right away to do x-rays because she thought she broke. They thought she broke her ankle. But Bella insisted that she be able to join the team on stage to accept their medals. So it's actually really endearing. They didn't even give her time to put her pants on over her uniform. So in the photos, you'll see that she's the only one not wearing pants. And the thing that is so sweet about Carrie Strug is she does not hold any grudges about this. She just laughs at it. So she she was still she was putting her, her they were putting her leg in a cast. Everyone else put their little track pants on. She was the only one up there still in her uh, little leotard. And it was just it's just really cute. The doctors also wanted to cut off her vault shoes, but she begged them not to because they were her lucky shoes and she wanted to be able to compete in them later that week. She's so cute. They actually ended up having to cut them off, which is because her injury was too severe, which is really sad. But um, but yeah, a few weeks later, President Clinton called her and she she actually thought it was a joke. She tells this really cute story on Jay Leno. She had a lot of physical therapy, but she was very positive about everything. And Carrie Strug's final vault to clinch the gold is widely known as one of the greatest moments in sports. It put it was a true moment of someone putting their sport and their team above and her friends above herself. And I think a lot of people remember watching this happen because it was such a pivotal moment in women's gymnastics on our home turf against the defending champs in the final vault to win gold for the first time. None of this magnitude can go understated. The world was watching. Young athletes were watching. Girls were watching. Kids were watching. America was watching. And if you didn't see it live for some reason and you were a kid, in America or anyone in America, you've seen it. <laughs> the girls in their um, celebratory metal stand photo made the Wheaties box, which back in the day was a really big deal when you could make the cover of the Wheaties box. And the video of Carrie Strug's vault, like I said, is truly one to watch if you haven't seen it. It's so inspiring even if you don't know the story behind it. It's about three to four minutes long, so it'll give you, if you ever just need an inspirational boost, it's really, really fantastic to just to just put it on. And if you've never seen it before, take solace in the fact that you know that there's mostly a happy ending to this part of the story. But, okay, transition to my next topic, it wasn't always happy, which leads me, like I said, to this next topic. It's a little bit dark, but please stay with me. Look. I don't want to down or up play any part of this story. I literally got lightheaded when I was writing this part of the script, rereading my sources. So again, I'm going to give you a trigger warning right here for sexual abuse. Please fast forward a couple minutes if you would like. I will only summarize the article and I will link it in the show notes. And I just want to make sure that the story is front and center just as much as the wins and the place in sports history over the years. Um, so please read it if you're able. This info is from an article from The Cut. Okay, so more than 265 people have accused Larry Nasser, who is the, the national gymnastics team doctor for more than two decades of sexual abuse. Some of these are famous Olympians, Ali Raisman, Michaela Marone, Maroney, Simone Biles, Gabby Douglas, and Jordan Weber are a few of them. Others are less so. 
like Jamie Dancher, Jeanette Antolin, and Jessica Howarden. The first report of his abuse occurred in 1997. And I was looking through pictures of the, you know, Carrie Strug and just seeing him reach out to her as she hobbled off of the mat, knowing what I know now. I can literally feel the evil popping off of his body like fleas in the picture. It is truly, he is truly a despicable, disgusting, evil human being. Like I said, 265 people have come forward and accused him of um, sexual abuse. And in 2017, he pleaded guilty to seven counts of first degree criminal sexual misconduct, and he was sentenced to 60 years in prison. As these abuse revelations come to light, the group and the organization is actually starting to get more investigated and more scrutinized. People have resigned, um, but this particular article actually directly links the abuse to Bella and Marta Caroli, the coaches. Um, the Carolis had a ranch in Texas where the girls would actually spend a significant amount of time training. There were so many accounts of direct abuse um, from the doctor, from Larry, Dr. Larry Nasser, but... We also can't forget that it was actively enabled, if not encouraged, by the Carolis, who were praised as being, like I said, the American dream. Um, this is where I would plead you to read the article or watch the documentary Athlete A on Netflix for more information. The allegations are brutal and absolutely heartbreaking. These were young girls. And these young girls are now the er the women of the Me Too era, thank God. But there is definitely so much more to uncover in every field, in every discipline, in every sport, I'm sure. And I, I just hope that the experiences and the that these women and these girls went through and now the bravery that it takes for them to come forward will um, encourage others to come forward that have also experienced this in other sports and other disciplines as well. And I'm sure... There's momentum in exposing these truths. Um, according to The Cut, today, very young girls know the meaning of Me Too and Time's Up. In the sport of gymnastics, so many adults failed to protect so many children for so long. The heroism of the 90s was defined by a teenager whose coach challenged her to inflict pain upon herself so she could be the best. You can do it, he said, and she did. More than 20 years later, we have a different kind of hero, just as capable as, of working through pain, but asking how and for what evil reasons anyone could want her to do that. So that quote, just, I mean, I'm getting chills right now, basically to break that down just a second for just a second, um, back in the nineties with the Magnificent Seven, the heroism was, um, just do it. Just, you can do it, you know, power through your pain. Um, and now in 2020, a different kind of heroism in gymnastics and in women's sports has kind of come to the forefront. And that heroism is, yeah, sure. I can do it. But what is your evil reason for me to do it? And that's the new kind of heroism that is defining women's gymnastics and women's sports in general. And I think that's a really important point to make when talking about these experiences from these from these girls that these girls went through. So that kind of puts the win and the work and the um, gravity of 1996 Summer Olympics into a little bit more perspective when you also consider that these girls were also likely victims. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many of them have come forward if they were, but if, if they weren't victim of sexual abuse, they, they were victim of power abuse and, and just, just carry drug on her own. You know, the U S coaches willing to injure a child for victory is just a different kind of abuse. And, um, I think that kind of gives an extra layer of power and, um, strength for these 
these women, these girls, and these ultimately these survivors. So, okay. So moving on. Um, but please, like I said, please read the article, watch, um, athlete a on Netflix, just get a little bit more information, a little background about it. Um, it is heavy, dark stuff. I don't want it to detract from the accomplishments that these girls made. Like I said, as, um, gold team winners, but I also think it's a very important part of the story. And it's very critical to tell this part of the story because it is part of their success and who they are. So, okay. So, um, where are they now? Dominique Mochianu, uh, she made history as the youngest U.S. gymnast to ever win a gold medal. She had years of family problems, sadly, that led her to seek emancipation from her parents. But um, now she has her own jewelry line, and she actually published a memoir in 2012 called Off Balance that catapulted her into a New York Times bestselling author. So that's pretty cool. Dominique Dawes, like I said, she was the first black female gymnast to win an individual Olympic uh, gold medal or Olympic medal and she eventually spent time as the president of the Women's Sport Foundation. She also won with Team USA in 1992 and 2000, making her the only group, the only member of the group to compete in three games. Um, she's now a gymnastics coach. She's a motivational speaker, broadcaster. And like I said, and she was even on Broadway, actually. that was I found that really cool. She was, like I said, she was also the co-chair of President Obama's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. So you've probably seen her around. She's still very much in the public eye. Shannon Miller was the most dec is the most decorated gymnast in U.S. history after nine back-to-back -back world championship medals and seven Olympic medals. She now has a health and lifestyle brand that's connected to her gymnastics career. Um, she actually promotes women's health. And a few years ago, I want to say maybe 10 years ago or so, it took on even greater import importance because she actually beat ovarian cancer. So she's very much in the health and wellness, women's health and wellness um, arena as well. Amanda Borden went to Arizona State University. She became the manager of the gymnastics team there, and she now co-owns a gymnastics gym with her husband in Arizona. J.C. Phelps opened her own gym in Greenfield, Indiana. And Carrie Strug was one of two who actually moved away completely from gymnastics and the sport completely. She was never able to do gymnastics again because of her injury, but she actually went on to Stanford, uh, graduated with an undergraduate degree and a master's degree, and worked, and I'm not sure if she still does, but she worked in the U.S. Department of Justice uh, office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency, delinquency Prevention, well, that's a mouthful, um, as a program manager. And she now lives in Arizona. So she actually said in an interview that she thought she was going to end the games looking like her hero, Mary Lou Retton from the 1984 Olympics. And then she said in this interview, she said, instead, I was crying with no pants on. <laughs> I thought that was really sweet. Just kind of a testament to Carrie Strick's character. She's very, very sweet, very um, positive person. Amy Chow was the other um, of the seven that has nothing to do with gymnastics anymore. She's a pediatrician. She goes down as a record setter as the first Asian American to win Olympic um, medals. She also competed for Team USA in the year 2000, um, in the 2000 Olympics. And she graduated from Stanford and Stanford Medical School. And now she has her own practice in the Bay Area. The team reunited in 2016 at the Parade for Olympian celebration um, 20 years later for the Rio Olympics. And um, yeah, that's what they're all doing. They're still they're still out doing their things. So um, except for Amy Chow and Carrie Strug, who are doing their own things in an also very cool way. So. So legacy of the Magnificent Seven, they had a very different competition than what we see today. They competed on older apparatuses and under the old 10-point scoring system. They also had a seven-person team, which usually it was 
six and it's now down to five. They were also the last team that had to be um, included in compulsories, which is where everyone on the team actually had to complete a set of predetermined skills. And then those were added to the traditional competition to determine their final standings. So they had even more pressure and even more competition just heaped on their muscular, tiny little shoulders. This was actually also, this 1996 was known as the year the women took over the Olympics from the New York Times, um, because that's also when the women's soccer and softball teams joined the Olympics. And the USA won both of those, too. They won gold for team in both of those, too. So this was the year the women took over the Olympics. And after breaking that Russian stranglehold on the gold, the U.S. program established itself as a powerhouse. And now it's the powerhouse. So the USA Team USA also won in 2012 and in 2016. So they based, it was the Magnificent Seven, um, the 1996 team, that really kind of broke through and broke down that barrier. And now Team USA is the powerhouse in women's gymnastics. Um, the Magnificent Seven members still get letters today from fans who are inspired by their performance. And um, from the Cut article, there are a couple things I wanted to point out. Um, 20 years ago, we mixed Carrie Strug's glory with her pain and we heralded her for it. This was the legacy that many gym of these gymnasts grew up in. So the message was no matter the message was that they could do it and they should no matter what. So they were such young girls, ages 14 through 19. It's hard to think that it's called women's and not girls gymnastics, which is really what it is. I really remember watching the gymnastics, um, women's gymnastics in the Summer Olympics 1986. My sister was a gymnast and she was actually incredibly talented. She was a little firecracker, very athletic. Um, so she was natural at it. My dad was always a faithful Olympics watcher, always had a love for the sport. My mom did too. So we always had the women's gymnastics on. And I remember when Carrie Strug's vault happened and when they clinched the gold. I was nine years old, so I didn't quite understand how huge it was. Um, and we were also driving around the country on a road trip. Our parents took us on a road trip to the national parks that year. But I remember watching it at every stop, every lodge, every hotel, anywhere with a TV, we were watching the women's gymnastics when it was on. And as the years went on, Carrie Strug's final vault actually was, you know, would pop up in, in pop culture and history time after time as one of the greatest sports moments. And as I got older, the magnitude of it definitely set in for me. Um, and then also in the last few years, when the articles and documentaries came out about the toxic culture within the USA Women's Gymnastics Organization and the sexual abuse, it really gained a whole new level of respect, admiration, and sympathy. As I got older, I also realized how young and vulnerable they were at their age and how much pressure was on them and how it must have been so hard. And then you add the reports of sexual abuse. It's almost just too much to bear. But like I've said, it's truly inspiring. I think these connections I've formed with the memories of these girls have morphed and matured and changed themselves. These women all seem to be thriving right now, which is incredible to see. And I love to see some of them keep up in the public sphere like Dominique Dawes. And I wanted to end this on a note that illustrates just how badass these girls are. And it's also from that cut, the article from the cut. So I'm going to read this quote. Today's gymnasts flip more, twist more, and fly higher, inviting more physical risk than ever before. And they no longer look as though you could snap them in half. Today's gymnasts, though still short in height, look as though they could conceivably snap you in half. They ripple with muscles, their thighs are solid, their biceps bulge beneath leotards in ultra-femme pinks and purples. 
This combination to me is exciting. Contemporary gymnasts are a modern breed of feminine, one that borrows from a traditionally masculine traits like strength and power without sacrificing elements of stereotypical femininity like ponytails and crying, grace and discipline. And on that note, fucking Madam Vice President, everyone. I'm so stoked about that. Okay. All right. So that's the Magnificent Seven, everyone. What do you think? How do you, do you remember watching the Magnificent Seven? Do you remember watching Carrie Strug? I am so, I'm so interested to hear about your experiences with these women, these girls. I have actually heard myself from friends tell me that the USA team, um, Magnificent Seven was their dream team and that they inspired them. And I mean, I'm not even an athlete. I'm not even a gymnast and they inspired me. So let me know what you think. Um, Yeah, let me know. Thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to announce also too that dad hats are here. We have a very limited supply left. So please let me know if you want one. Drop me a line on Twitter at uh, TTTHpod or on Instagram, talk to the hand pod. The website, like I said, talk to the handpod.com. The contact page is up and we will very shortly have a Patreon page ready for you with different levels of membership. And we will also have a merch page on the website as well. And you could also email me, talk to the handpod at gmail.com if you feel like going through the old school uh, email way. That's totally cool too. So, um, so yeah, keep me posted. Let me know what you think about the 1996 summer. We'll Olympics, Magnificent Seven, Carrie Strug's Final Vault. What do you think? And next week, I'll see you for a super fun topic with my friend, the baking and Broadway blogger, Madame Chere. I am so excited for this episode. She is a fantastic baker and a fantastic Broadway reviewer. And um, we're going to be doing some really, a really, really fun topic. So make sure you tune into that. But until then, please... My lovely 90s kids, have a great week and please, please, please remember, be excellent to each other. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week.